son uh, was working and gave them a brand new grandbaby that they flew in. Was it yesterday you flew in? And uh, to be here with us and to honor our church. So I'm going to ask the guards to come on up with uh, Brother Davis and Brenda's going to come up as well. As they're coming, let me just put a little bit of context to this. Ten years ago, it was back probably in March, I think March or, I think it was March of, uh, come on up. Don't you dare. Um, We went to celebrate their 90th anniversary of their church in 2010. And it was a big celebration. Uh, I was invited to go and preach twice. Brother Ken Drawn was supposed to do all of the preaching, most of the preaching, and he had a heart procedure, and he told me, he says, you're going to have to do all the preaching. And I think that resulted in me preaching 15 or 17 times in 11 days. And this guy interpreted all of it, and I know I preached well because he interpreted. So where I was weak, because he interpreted for Reinhard Bonnke in a big crusade, there in Bruno, so I know he improved my preaching just by interpreting. So, and uh, I want you to give him a really good welcome. Then he's going to honor uh, our brother Davis and myself and you. So I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Ken. It's a great joy to be here with you this morning, and I thank God for what God has done. I've been witness to you from my childhood to you from Emmanuel Church, and I've been witness to you from 60 branch churches with my husband, Baptist Web, Casper, and Tony Hart. Thank God. And we thank God for what God is doing. And I thank you all for encouraging us, strengthening us, and helping us through finances that we could achieve what we are achieving because of the grace of God and through your uh, help and uh, through Pastor Davis and uh, Francis. Thank you so much. Only eternity will reveal what has accomplished through your witnesses. And uh, we are very thankful for that. Personally, I am witnessing this morning and I thank Tony Hart and Casper share with you Jesus Christ. Amen. Hang in there. We are praying for you and God will do a wonderful thing through them. Pastor Davis has been with Emmanuel Church for the last 50 years. Out of 100 years. And I would like to honor and uh, give our mementos and celebration to Pastor Lynn wife and this is my wife she has been staying with me following me speaking with me for the last 31 years
show our appreciation to the Dars for being here. Amen. History of Emmanuel Church. You can go. They have a website. It's improving. Um, and Pastor Davis, the missionaries, the Davises were there. The church is down to absolutely nothing. And so the Dars came with young children, and as Brother Davis would say, and a drunk was the start of rebuilding that church. It has gotten down to like nothing. So that drunk was your startup for your new church, right? And uh, he just said 60 branch churches. How many services do you have at the, the main church on a weekend? Five, five services. And how many uh, altogether do you think in the branch churches in your church do they have? 10,000. That's pretty good from a drunk a few years ago. But God has given him favor and the Davises. And, and one of the things our church did, I'll just give a little bit of context and then we'll jump in the message. Uh, they needed help. To, they, what they had was just really a, a shelter. And they had plans to build this church. And I know when Brother Davis brought it to me, I said, well, you know what? If you had so many churches in Alabama, you give $2,000. I think that's what I said to him. Um, and I said, of course, assuming you give the first $2,000, so we'll get it kicked off. And, hmm? 2500 I knew you probably know exactly the amount, but uh, we were the first ones to give the 2500 and church after church has just kicked in, and this is why this man and his wife love you, because we were part of the life's They've battled. Um, India is not really all that friendly toward evangelicals, but uh, this is a full Pentecostal move of God that's happening in Pune, India. So, again, thank you, Brother Sadar, for being here. Amen. Well, I'm ready to share this message with you this morning, and uh, I've got all kinds of scripture here, so I think uh, Shane's ready to go. Uh, this month, we just dedicated this month to telling the story about Jesus and his arrival. God becoming one of us, it would be real easy for me to jump back in what I've been studying for Wednesday night. It, it, it's just been a phenomenal thing for me to talk about the grand miracle, the incarnation of Jesus. Uh, fully God, fully man. And when I say Christmas, and this is what I'm preaching on this morning is hope. You might have got that from some of the, the songs we did. Hope is the effect of Christmas. And when I put it that way, I'm not talking about the holiday. I'm not talking about what we're going to celebrate in five days is that that holiday makes hope. Hope from Christ's coming made the holiday. That's how it happened. And I'm talking about Jesus coming, the Christ, the King of the Jews, as the wise men said. And you can put all the dynamics of righteousness, peace, joy, uh, love, all of those, 
you can put them alone on a chart and you put Jesus next to him and he would be all of that. And when you get down to hope, he is hope. He doesn't bring hope, he is hope. And today I'm putting Jesus right next to hope because that's where this assurance comes from. It comes straight from the Lord. The word that I'm going to be talking about in the Greek that's translated hope, and we're going to go to some passages here in just a moment, is the word elpis. And this is what it means, exactly what it means in the original language. A joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. We use the word hope sometimes in a wishful are you going, are you able to go to such and such and you say, I hope so. Well, that's not the same thing. It's not wishing. It's this settled assurance that it's done. When the, the man I was quoting so much on Wednesday night, this is a statement he made about this. Our salvation hope for the payment of our sin and our full restoration as God's image bearers is only accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, there is no other name under heaven given whereby men must be saved. It's only through the name of Jesus. He is our hope. He is our joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. And uh, one of the things I came up with on, on Wednesday night as I studied about that is that Jesus made no shortcuts. He did not shortcut his way to any miracles. He didn't do any miracles when he was a child, as some said he did. He didn't do any miracles as a 20-year-old. He didn't do any miracles until he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and turned water into wine, which was his first miracle. There was no shortcuts. So the word I'm going to throw at you this morning that's kind of like part of hope is that there's no maybe in the word hope. There's no likelihood in the word hope. There's no chances are good that this is going to happen. It is, it will stand by itself on its own authority. The miracle of Jesus coming in that grand miracle of incarnation lets us know that Christ's humanity and his divinity never got crossways. And when we have hope that doesn't get crossways with shame or with unbelief or doubt, so here's the first point I'm going to give you this morning. Jesus is the hope that anchors our faith. I'm going to take you to Romans chapter 10. And we've, we've read this, and I'll never forget leading a man to the Lord one day with this passage. And here's the passage in Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You realize there's no might be so. There's a good chance you're going to be saved. There's no maybe there. You will be saved. And it was that man still telling me after he prayed and confessed the Lord, he said, I don't feel any different. And I'd take him back through this passage, and he would pray, and he would confess, and he would believe. And he said, but I don't feel any different. And I says, then you read it. What did you do? Did you confess Jesus as Lord? He says, yes. Did you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? He says, yes. He says, and what it says in the book is a big deal. And, he, and I'll never forget it. He said, you will be saved. I will be saved. And all of a sudden, it's kind of his eyes get lifted. I will be saved. I'm saved. This guy 
came to church the very, this is when Jackson came to church the next Sunday morning, fully aware that the Lord had changed his life. It's when hope entered in along with faith. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture said, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And you saw that line up on one of the Psalms. That there's no shame, there's no maybe, there's no withdrawal from this truth. Hope is that rock-solid confidence that this is true and nothing can separate you from the love of God. From the Savior, from Jesus, who is Lord. There's a reason why Paul wrote in Corinthians 13 that these three things remain. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. Now, he went on to say, and the greatest of these is love. Well, that doesn't diminish, diminish faith and hope. He said, these three are the pillars of your life. Love brought Christ to this world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And when he arrived, he stirred up faith and hope. Faith and hope work together. You cannot separate them. They are so connected. I want you to hear this in Romans chapter 5 because hope is also a great shame preventer. And when it talks about shame in this verse, it talks about drawing back away from something that you just heard as true. It's not like the shame we think of. It's just, it's just pulling back away like, well, I'm not sure about that. Here's Romans chapter 5, and to put it in context, I'm going to read the first five verses. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And look, listen to how hope and faith are connected. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He's not finished with hope. And not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character that word again, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope doesn't cause us to draw back and wonder if this is all true. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is no maybe there. You don't see a likelihood there. And hope is that that keeps us from going backwards. Hope comes along with faith. They're so interconnected you cannot separate them. You can't weaken either of them. Here's the second point I want us to make. Second point I want to make. The hope that, that we talk about is the effect of Christmas. Jesus is the hope that activates evangelism. Do you realize, do, do you right offhand know the principal verse that all apologetic people go to to support apologetics? It's in Titus, or it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Michael Ramsden, we had an apologetics on Right Now Media, and he started taking this verse right at the start. Almost all people, whether it's Robbie Zacharias or Josh McDowell or Lee Strobel, all of them go to this verse in 1 Peter 3.15. And I'm going to read the verses before and after this, but you'll, you'll recognize the verse where it talks about this. 
This is verse 14, 1 Peter 3. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. The whole context is living out for God your faith, but you're paying a price for it. But in your hearts, revere Christ. Some translations, sanctify the Lord in your heart. In other words, set Christ apart from all of the clutter and chaos around you. Always be prepared. Here it is. Always be prepared to give an answer. That's apologia. Apologia, which means to give an answer. Apologetics comes from that. To give an answer to everyone who asks you, listen to this, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good, your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. He says, as you live out your life and you pay a price for it, you witness to people. And I don't know how people respond to you when you witness, but there's all kind of various responses, right? They can dismiss it. They can like argue with you, with you or they can kind of like get a little terse with you. I don't want to hear that. The more you share the gospel, the more you're going to have these varying re- reactions and responses. But he said, listen, you be prepared. You be prepared to give what? A reason for the hope, that settled assurance, not a maybe about your faith. There's no question about our faith. There's no question about our salvation. I, uh, I think about the Azusa Street Revival back in the early 1900s. And you think what people did as a result of that revival. There were stories of people going through Azusa Street, being uh, immersed in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, getting on a train, and going to the, the places where these ships leave the, the harbor there in New York City, waiting, some of them waiting for someone to help them with fare because they were going to China. They were going to India. They were going to all parts of the world because God called them. They did not know the language. They had no supporters whatsoever, but they heard the call of God. Who does that? We don't do that today. (laughs) You would not be allowed to go to to the mission field today, but they did that. What was compelling them? I want to tell you there was no maybe in the call of God on their life. We would think, well, that wasn't wise to do that, to get on a ship for China and go there. You don't know who's there. You don't know the language. But they just had this trust that God was going to help them learn the language. And they didn't go to language school. Most of these people that went into the mission field in the 1800s and 1900s, they went there to learn the language because they wanted to learn the language and learn the culture and, and share the gospel because they were sure there was no maybe in their experience. And just remember, hope is the great shame preventer. There's no shame in evangelism. I don't think we should apologize for sharing the goodness of God and who Jesus really is. And this is the, could there be a better week? Five days is going to be Christmas. Could there be a better time in, on the calendar than this to share the gospel? To, to just have an opening door? To share with someone what Jesus did and what he brings and the hope he brings? Here's the last point I want to make. Hope, the effect of Christmas. Jesus is the hope that assures us of eternity. Listen to Romans 5, 2 again. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? That we boast in the hope of the glory of God. It can only mean this. 
that the glory of God is our reference to being with him for all eternity. That we are going to be called up one day to be with him. And this is the hope that we have. We have this assurance in us. It's not a maybe. We know we're going to share in his glory. Paul Bilheimer wrote a book uh, a number of years ago in the 70s, Destined for the Throne. You may have seen it. And he was not writing about just anything. He was writing that the believers in the Lord are destined for the throne to share the glory of God. And knowing that, we ought to be people of passionate prayer and passionate evangelism since we're going to share the glory of God. Hope is linked to glory, and it has to do with our destiny, that we are destined to be with Christ forever. I want to take you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Great verse. It goes like this. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What mystery? The salvation story. The grand story of God coming to this earth in the person of his son. And dying on the cross and being raised from the dead so that people could have eternal life. And he said this great mystery, which is this? It boils down to this, Christ, Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, meaning the assurances within us that we are destined to be with him forever. We are destined. It's not a maybe. Jesus said this in John 14. I didn't give the scripture to... Shane, but it's pretty fast. You know, he starts off in my father's house. There are many mansions, many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you this. I go to prepare a place for you. Did he not say that? And he says, if it were not so, or I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. There's no hiccup there. He said, I'm leaving if I leave, and we know he did that, I'm coming back. Paul didn't write as though his death would have some kind of question mark around it. He was willing, he was excited about this next step that he was going to take. How about Stephen dying from being stoning? I'm, I'm telling you what, being stoned probably has had to be one of the worst deaths that you could experience. And yet he saw Jesus standing at the throne, receiving him. There was no maybe there. I don't know what point in Paul's life that he wrote to Titus. But listen to chapter 2, verse 13. He says, looking for that blessed hope. Do you realize that we took those two words and in our doctrinal statement, in most churches' doctrinal statement, they call the blessed hope what? The return of Christ for his church. And this is what he's, he's writing to Titus, looking for that blessed hope, that assurance that he's coming back and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's no maybe about Jesus coming back. And I know I've, I, I see I've, I've, I'm good friends with some great teachers. I say friends, I, I follow. I do know a couple of them, and they preach here. Nana has preached here. Great pastor. Dr. Michael Brown has been in this church. Great teacher. And I couldn't be more opposite than some of the things that he says about the rapture. 
And there's all kind of discussions. When, when can Jesus come back? When will he come back? Is going to be, could it be next year, next week, or three years from now? Do, does the tribulation have to take place? And this is what I've, this is the conclusion in my own theology I've come to, whether you're interested in it or not. And I think I adopted it from my dad. Jesus is coming back when the Father decides to send him. And I don't think he's going to check with any theologians to see if it's within their framework of what they believe. I think he just might surprise a lot of people. But there's no question about it that the Father, Jesus said, I don't know the time, but the Father's the only one, and he's going to tell me it's time. And when he says it's time, everybody else's opinion goes away. He's coming back. He's coming back, and we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We will step into his experience, that glorified body. We could never see him face to face right now, not in the state we're in and the state he's in. We can never fix our eyes on him, but I'm going to tell you, we will see him with our own eyes one day when we step into his glory. And these bodies are changed to be immortal. Now we're very mortal. And this virus has reminded us of our mortality. But we're going to step into his immortality, this eternal state. And I think Randy Alcorn is, is all over what the, the future is for us. If you like to read, get his book on heaven, and you, you need to probably get your two cups of coffee if you're going to read it. But I just believe that he just hits it on the, on the nail on the head with, what is waiting for us? I'm telling you what's waiting for us. It's the most glorious thing we could ever imagine and beyond our imagination. It's not a maybe. There's some people that are hoping that they go to heaven, but the hoping that they have is more of a wishing. Are you sure you're going to heaven? Well, I hope so. Well, I don't know if you're going to go to heaven. But for those who know if your heart stopped beating right now, you have no doubt whatsoever where you're headed. That's the hope that keeps you from backing out. I want to tell you something. I'm praise team come to me. The enemy is going to come after your hope. And he's going to come after your faith. Because if he can weaken either one of them, he weakens both of them. Because hope and faith are interconnected. We will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. This body, this perishable body, will give way to that that's imperishable. And 1 Corinthians 15 paints this enormous picture that the faith and hope that's resident in our lives is going to explode into a reality This is the effect of Christmas. Not the obvious. That Jesus came, that all of us in this room would have a firm assurance of a place in his glory. And that we do not have to try to be saved. I'm, I'm so blessed by podcasts like this and people like you guys supporting. I'm just, I'm a, 
around is a great coincidence. But Christians do not do certain things to be a Christian. They do certain things because they are Christians. Because we've been remade. We don't have to try to be a Christian. We might have to tackle some of our our human impulses. But we, we don't have to try to be. That would make us have a, a role in salvation, wouldn't it? We just have to rest in His promise. And one of the things I've, I kind of miss, and if you will stand with me, I've kind of missed with all the virus thing is, I thought about this, is altar calls. I just, I miss altar calls. Because you're all social distancing, you know. We even used to have spaces up here where we can stay six feet apart. something supernaturally in that ICU unit there in Birmingham and, and Montgomery and Mobile, Huntsville and, and smaller hospitals that they're doing everything they can with man's capabilities. And it's limited. They're reminded every day of how limited we have resources to fight this. But there's no limit to your power. There's no limit to your strength. There's no limit to your healing. And may you invade that ICU unit, Lord, with your mighty power, a wave of glory. Invade those rooms. Drive this virus out of their lungs. We call upon you, Lord, and we come against this virus by your authority. Lord, forgive us for pulling back in fear instead of pulling into that place of hope. We've allowed too much of fear to dominate us when we should be people of hope, people of faith, people of passionate prayer, of trusting you and calling upon you, Lord. We have asked for your protection over us and our families, and we know families that are wanting together in a safe environment this week. That we pray over those homes. We pray over Shelby and his family, Lord, that you would just put a circle of protection around them. And those who are traveling, that you would be their guard, that you would be their security, their resistance to this virus. And 
I pray, oh God, that we would not hesitate to declare that you have authority and power over every disease. And our world is so broken by this. And our nation is so under siege by this, Lord. We are crying out for divine help, for supernatural intervention. Oh God, have mercy upon us. Turn our hearts towards you. Turn our hearts toward trust and faith and hope. We become more aggressive in our prayers, in our intercession, and that the anointing of God will be upon us and we would pray passionately in the spirit to break this malady off of our nation, off of our world, Lord. Help us, help us, Lord, to not allow fear to shackle us when you've called us to be your voice, your messenger. Those openings, Lord, even if it's just on the phone with someone, to see where they're at, to see if they're still doubtful about where they stand. Those who are watching live stream or watch a replay of this, Lord, if they're not sure where they stand, may they right now say, Jesus, I, I know you died on the cross for me, and I know you were raised from the dead. You said thus, that's what salvation is built on. If I believe that and confess that, if I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead, if I confess you with my mouth that you are the master of my life, you said I will be saved. There's no maybe. And those who need to hear the will instead of a maybe, may that surge through their soul and no longer doubt where they stand with you. And those that the enemy has really kind of beat them down into feeling they're unworthy and they just can't get through the mistakes they've made, may you break that lie, that deceit off of their mind and penetrate it with the light. None of us are worthy, but you are worthy for us to trust you. You are worthy for us to confess you. And you are worthy for us to live for you every single day that you give us breath. May we commit ourselves for the 11 days left in this year. And we're in a way so eager to see 2021 come and just believe for a different year. For whatever day we're living, Lord, may you help us to live out our faith in such a tangible way that others will have. What's the hope? What gives you such hope? And we'll be able to tell them why of the hope that we have in you, Savior. In Jesus' name. And while you're standing, can we just take a few moments to worship you?